Talking with Tech is sponsored by Q Interactive, Pearson's iPad-based system for testing, scoring, and reporting. Experience unheard of efficiency and client engagement with 20 top tests, all delivered digitally. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial at pearsonclinical.com slash TWT18. Um, after that 30 days, if you want to go ahead and use it, call 1-800-627-7271 and give them promo code TWT18 to get 10% off the Q Interactive license. Uh, this is only good through the end of the year, December 31st, 2018, so try it now. Welcome back to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Chris Bouguet. How are you doing, Chris? Oh, I'm really good today. I, we're gonna talk about assessment, right? Is that what we're gonna talk about? We're gonna talk about assessment. And uh, we actually talked about this a little bit last week. We did a webinar for AAC After Work, which was done through Exceptional Ed. And I was lucky enough to be presenting with Chris and Lucas on AAC competencies. And we talked a lot about the assessment process and how AAC competencies are really important for guiding your treatment um, and kind of looking at the different areas that we can work on. A lot of times we focus on linguistic competency because we're SLPs and language comes naturally to us. Uh, but there's a lot of other competencies to consider when you're planning intervention for AAC users. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, you can go to Exceptional Ed. Um, the link will be in the show notes um, and you can check it out. It, it's an hour long course. So if you're looking for some CEUs, it's an easy way to get them. Yeah, at the, re at the end of that session, we talked all about those competencies for the good portion of the, uh, of the entire session. But then at the end, we talked about some specific tools and we didn't really have time to describe them as well as we'd like or really discuss them at all. We just, you know, it's only an hour long. So we thought, hey, what if we talked about it here? Because, hey, uh, the person that we interviewed today is called, her name is Julie Freed and her and uh, a bunch of other people that she works with developed this cool tool called the AD. APT, which she's going to talk all about in the interview, but uh, this way we could talk about, you know, expound upon those assessments that we didn't really get to talk about. Yeah, and Chris, you had a part in the development of the coal, correct? Yeah, so one of them that we uh, talked about briefly, we called the COLE, C-O-L-E, but it's uh, really the continuum of language expression. And what that was born out of was, um, I, at the time, so this is maybe three years ago, I was working on a committee. Uh, we called it the Language Steering Committee. We kind of recognized that we wanted uh, to have a focus group that was trying to improve augmentative communication selection and implementation in our neck of the woods. And so this committee was having meeting after meeting about how to do this, you know, coming with mission statements and goals for ourselves and goals for our, uh, you know, our, our county. And so we said, one of the things that we came up with was that we really looked at the early language learners, like pre-Brown's grammatical stages, and like, how do we assess early, early language development? Because this is where we wanted to target our first uh, it's really where we're going to target our AAC implementation was we're going to start at the preschool level. And actually, we feel like a lot of students were getting stuck at that level anyway, you know, that we knew kids in high school that were still at a language level of somewhere between, you know, 
uh, six months and sub two years old, you know? And so because their language is there, we felt like this is where we need to concentrate our time. So we started looking at assessments that would help us figure that out. And um, the more we looked at, you know, we looked at the communication matrix, we looked at um, early language uh, uh, stages based on um, different textbooks that we looked at from our old grad school days, you know, the Owens textbook. I don't know if you had that. We had the Owens textbook. And I mean, we just had a bunch of different uh, tools we looked at and none of none of them individually felt like it was the right tool for us like what we were looking at we really wanted to something that honed in on those early language development and so we said you know the only way we're going to have something that really fits our needs is if we build it you know it's sort of a a tenant of of our of mine and the some of the people i work with which is this idea that well if it doesn't exist and we discovered that it needs to exist then it's on us to create it right and so we did we um it was me and it was um a preschool teacher and two speech therapists that worked at the early childhood level. And we got together, we took all these different uh, assessment tools and, and language scales, and we threw them in a bucket together. And we said, let's develop, you know, let's develop our own. What, what comes out in the wash here that makes sense? And then what we really wanted to do was um, give it out to teachers in a way that they could use it as a guide for them and their either their classroom team or their IEP team together, they could sit together and kind of go through it together saying, okay, this is what early language looks like. And so we developed like 11 stages uh, that are just, we, we just said, you know, this feels like stage one, this is, feels like stage two, stage three, as students would be progressing through early language development. And we made it in a Google sheet, right? So it's just a spreadsheet where you can tally up what the different um, results are. So you could say, so for instance, in stage one, one of the early, early things is just, does the student cry when uncomfortable? And you could mark it as a not observed, we've never seen the student cry. You could mark it as a occasionally, which would get a score of a one. Usually the student cries when uncomfortable, that's a two. And then to get a score of a three, you'd say always. Yep, this, this kid constantly cries when uncomfortable. And of course, that's just a one particular you know, standard that we were looking at, one particular skill that, that goes on, you know, eventually gets up as a student saying one word utterances. Are they starting to combine two words together? You know, have they started to use um, ING, for instance, you know, if you're looking at morphemes. And so it, the idea is that there, you ask these questions, you talk about them as a team, you rate it together as a team, and it gives you what we call a Cole score, right? The score is then, you know, just tallies up those different numbers with the idea that one where it's where you started to tap out, uh, meaning you started to get a bunch of zeros in a row, you could say, yeah, this kid has never observed it or, you know, is never really doing this. We've maybe got three or four of those in a row. We could probably stop having, you know, going through the assessment here. This gives us a place to target our, our intervention is these things are where a student stopped. And this is where we started to think the student might need to go next. So let's focus our goals on this particular area. And then it would give you that score that you could then, you know, six months from now or maybe at the end of the school year, okay, let's do this again. Let's have this discussion again and see if the numbers went up, you know, or even if you did it three or four years uh, down the line, you could say, hey, here's where this kid started. Four years later, after we've been doing intervention, the Cole score has gone up to this. So here's some quantitative progress that's been made. I don't know, Rachel, that was a long me talking, but what do you think? 
No, I think that's a really, uh, it's a really good idea. And, you know, when we're working with AAC users, we're really, in a lot of ways, starting from ground zero and building up. So a lot of the assessment tools, um, you know, they might lightly touch on emerging communication, but we really need to do a deep dive. And it sounds like that's exactly what you guys did with the coal, which is really cool. Um, something that I was thinking about as you were talking was how can we use these assessments in what I'll call non-traditional ways. I think we think of assessment like, well, this is what happens in the beginning of, you know, someone's communication or speech therapy journey um, and happens every year when we need to, you know, gather baseline data or every three years if we're doing a triennial. Um, I, I think that we can be doing ongoing assessment and we should be doing ongoing assessment as a way to target specific skills. Um, and so I, my question to you, Chris, is how can we use these assessments and these guidelines during our everyday practice, you know, and, and, and I know sometimes it's split up. The treating therapist isn't the therapist that does the assessment. Um, that's how it is in California. That makes no sense to me whatsoever, you know, because the treating therapist knows the child best. That's a whole other conversation. But how can we use this during intervention? Yeah, so we actually made two versions, right? One is the interactive version that's in the uh, Google spreadsheet form, right? The second one we call the pretty, pretty picto chart version because it's just a large infographic. You could make a big poster out of it and post it up in your room and it, it shows in this infographic the progression of language. So in that way, you could kind of have it up and everyone in the room could go, okay, you could almost take little pictures of the kids and stick them up and say, okay, this kid's here. I mean, you couldn't, you wouldn't do that, right? I mean, but let's say a little avatar, right? It said, right. okay, this kid's here. So we know what we should be working on is what comes next, you know? And so that gets everyone thinking about the uh, assessing how, what they're doing and where the student is at any given moment. Yeah. And one thing that I really try to impress upon the student clinicians that I work with, the CFYs, um, you know, developmental norms should not just be for speech therapists. If we give developmental norms and a projection of here's, here's where we're at and here's where we're headed, it allows teachers and parents to kind of see every step along the way. Um, I think that a lot of times teachers and parents probably feel helpless in a lot of ways because they don't see where we're going, right? They're not SLPs. They're not communication experts. They don't know what comes next. Um, and so I think having those developmental milestones um, and especially concerning communication and early communication is so important to kind of see, you know, oh, they're definitely doing this. You know, here's some gaps that we can fill in. Um, so I, I, I urge all of the clinicians out there listening, um, don't be afraid to give developmental norms and checklists and things like that to parents and teachers because it's been my experience that they're they're so thankful. So like, oh wow, I had no idea that you know this is what comes next or these are the kinds of things that we can be working on. Um, especially for those clients that I only do consults with every so often, it's really important for me to kind of cover my bases and say, okay. Like, you know, if they start making really rapid progress, here's where we're going next. You don't really need me um, to guide as much uh, because you can kind of see where we're headed. So, Rachel, something else that struck me while you were talking there about, about that is that so there's the individual classrooms, right? But all over the, the country, we know that there are core vocabulary initiatives happening, right? And so here's the question I asked the people who are putting together their core vocabulary initiative. How do you know it's working? 
You know, how do you know all the effort and time that you are putting into it is actually yielding some sort of results so that, that, that you could go back and actually measure, you know, not just a feeling like, well, I think the kids are getting it. And this is the, the coal or things like it give you some sort of quantitative number you can hang your hat on. Like imagine all the teachers in a school district did the coal for all of their kids. They'd have a number for their classroom. And then you could share that number and put it in a database someplace, right? And if everyone did that around the district, you'd have your coal score, your number of where kids are right now in your district at language level wise. Now we come in with our core vocabulary initiative or whatever your interventions you're going to do for your entire district, trainings and, and everything you're going to do, your intervention model. And then you can measure it a year later, two years later, three years later, and you could see the growth. It's not perfect, right? Because you have kids coming in and out and it's changing. But it is a, is a general trend line. Wouldn't you see like, okay, well, we've tried this intervention, this core vocabulary approach. The numbers should, in general, be going up, right? What do you think? Exactly. And I think so often we're focused so intensively on the goals, right? And it's like, we have our goal. We have the baseline data on our goal. And we're only looking through the lens of our goals. But I think looking big picture is so important um, from a long-term perspective. I feel like the, the goals in the IEP are really important from a short-term perspective for the year, right? It's like, okay, here's where we're at. And don't get me wrong, there's a place for that. Um, they're important and that's why we do them. But I do think having um, some longer-term baseline, well, essentially a baseline in the beginning and longer term progress monitoring is really effective for our AAC users specifically. Um, so I love all of those, all of those ideas that you gave Chris. Yeah. You know, I think that's where I got myself in trouble. And I think many people got themselves in trouble is uh, thinking of goals. You, you only ever, I only ever thought of like, okay, let's get this kid through this year. I say it all the time, right? How do you know where you're going? Right. Uh, and so having this long-term goal, I could almost see it like uh, having you know, school districts have, uh, when they put together their goals for their, their, their mission plan for, it's usually a five-year plan, you know, your five-year technology plan, five-year intervention plan. And so I could almost see that with students as well. Like, how do we have a long-term trajectory where we want to go? Absolutely. And I think that assessment tools like the whole, the communication matrix, which I know a lot of people from, are familiar with, are really important. Um, the other one, the DAG, um, and that's through Toby Dynavox, I think is really effective. Um, we were talking before we, we started recording about how the communication matrix is awesome. It's a deep dive. Um, it's very detailed and time intensive, which is good sometimes. Um, but I like the DAG because it's, it's a little bit less intense. Um, I love the way that they break it down, you know, according to ability levels, just like kind of very similar to the communication matrix, but it's not quite as detailed. Um, and I think that if we're thinking about how can we start using these tools in a way that is quick because school SLPs are busy, um, you know, we're all busy, but I think that having something that's a little quicker um, would encourage more people to be able to feel like they're able to do it. Um, and I really like the way that the DAG breaks it down. Um, we also obviously talked about it during our talk about AAC competencies, because then after you go through the kind of different levels of communication and, you know, it, it goes into receptive language and expressive language and social interaction and literacy, um, then it kind of breaks it down according to the competencies. Um, so we have linguistic and we have social and we have operational. Um, it's just a really good catch-all. And we talked about this on our talk. It's really important to just 
remember all these things, right? Like we kind of hone in on the, the linguistic, that's natural, but there's other skill sets that I think if we just every so often looked at an assessment tool like this, uh, we're reminded like, wow, I could definitely start incorporating some operational things like charging the device or initiating with a partner and things that might not necessarily be outright goals in the IEP, but that we could very easily start incorporating into our sessions. Totally. One thing we should mention is that both of these tools that we're talking about right now, the DAG2 and the Cole, are free, right? You can just, we can put the links in the show notes. You can get them. We're not selling them. There's, there's not making any profit on anything like here. It's just uh, some quick tools that you can use. One of the other things I wanted to mention about the DAG when I was reviewing it was that it really reminded me of this Julie Freed episode, the, the, the interview that we just did. So what uh, Julie and her, her colleagues put together is a tool that allows you to say, okay, let's look at where a student is communication-wise and then let's pick, based on where we think that student is, a further dive into assessment of AAC. So it's sort of like a screening tool, if you, if you will. And I'm going to let her describe it. But she, it's broken down, the APT that she talks about, that's coming right up. Um, it's broken down under Patricia Dowden's work, which is, breaks down communication into the emergent, transitional level, there's the context-dependent level, transitional independent. They talk about just being completely independent. And so they take the DAG and the APT that Julie's about to talk about line up nicely as the tools that might complement each other. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, let's listen to Chris's interview with Julie Freed. Well, welcome to Talking With Tech, and I'm here today with Julie Freed. How are you doing, Julie? Hi, Chris. Doing great. Uh, happy to have you. So thanks for coming on. So tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, by profession, I am a speech-language pathologist like yourself. I currently live in the state of Iowa, um, work for Grantwood Area Education Agency in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is located East Central. And I serve as our assistive technology AAC resource team lead. And I've probably been at this position for about 25 years. It's gone by fast. Um, and prior to that, um, I've been in the field and, and really interested in the area of AAC for many years before that. Wow. Okay. So you have a lot of experience. You've seen the growth and explosion of AAC and how it changed over the years, right? Absolutely. It's been very exciting to see it evolve and be part of that work in the ways that I can. So uh, that could be a whole other podcast about just how you see it grow, but let's, let's focus in on, on what's happening currently. Like, so what are some problems you're seeing with the consideration and selection of AAC? Like, how is it working and what's not working? Well, that actually too is something that's changed over time. And I think uh, for those in the field of assistive technology or even AAC, you've seen that occur where in the past when I first started in the field um, and I assumed this position at Grantwood AEA, it was really set up to be an expert model. So um, it was kind of out of the need um, that arose from many IEP teams having students with these complex communication needs and them really struggling to know what are we supposed to do? How do we figure out a system? And so it was kind of send a referral, ask for the quote unquote expert. And at that time, I was still very new in the field and, and still learning. I still am learning. Mm -hmm. uh, but at that time, then I would go out and do my best to cover basically a seven county area here in eastern Iowa across 32 school districts. And so it became um, a very difficult model to sustain. 
and became very evident right away that this expert model simply wasn't going to be sustainable and that we really weren't gaining any traction. Um, people were still referring to someone else for support rather than trying to uh, build their own capacity and understanding. And so that was really the most pressing need that resulted in a lot of conversation, further conversations at our agency about how could we maybe do this differently. So it's so interesting you say that, Julie, because I bet you there's a lot of people that are listening that are going, yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Like that's either that's the model we're currently living in or that's the one we're uh, trying to transfer away from, you know. Correct. Um, and I see that also in the larger scope of AT, not just specific to AAC devices, but uh, other pieces of equipment for other needs, you know. Uh, so there's this whole movement to go into more of a coaching model. So how did you end up like addressing those concerns? How have you moved away from that expert model? Well, it actually uh, came out of sheer necessity of survival, probably my own, um, and feeling like we really had some kind of a system in place or were creating one that could meet these diverse needs. We um, started having conversations just to identify how many different students did we have currently in our area, schools, that had what we would term as complex communication needs. and. We found out, reported by our SLPs, that we had over 350. And I knew I had not seen 350 students um, over the course of the last um, few years. So as a result, there were a group of small, a small group of SLPs, about nine of us, um, who decided or determined we all had this passion to try to figure this out. Like, how could we help instead of just meeting needs one at a time, how could we start to I would say enable our own SLPs in our agency to really build their own confidence level and their mm -hmm. expertise. So we started to meet, honestly, I think it was nine years ago as a small group after work hours through a grant. And we started to really look at all the different tools and resources. That's kind of how it started. Um, and then we said, well, where would we want to start? If this, if our professional learning together that we could then take back and share where we had to have a focus. And so our initial focus at that time was on assessment. And not assessment in the term of formal, sit down, one time, but dynamic assessment. And how could we organize assessment tools in some manner, how could we package it um, to make that available to our area SLP so that they could then have a resource that they could refer to and then have ready access to some quality assessment tools that would really give them good information in starting to make decisions. And I think also we wanted to realize what they already knew. I mean, a lot of their expertise in terms of communication and language development is so relevant. And so that's how our journey began. Um, and we set that as our first goal was organizing available AAC assessment tools that would really give us good information rather than just having SLP show up at meetings or writing in IEP's opinions or kind of just observations. Um, so interesting, Julie, that is where in our school district, we did something very similar because what you started with was the idea of let's get an inventory of the number of students that actually have these needs. And, and we did the exact same thing. In fact, we had, uh, and this might be a fun activity for people to do when they start to address this as well, is, okay, teachers, uh, write down a list of all of your students mm -hmm. and then cross, you know, circle all the ones, uh, you know, cross out the ones that are, um, or maybe circle the ones that might have complex needs. And then 
you would have a, a quantitative number to start with. And then, like you said, you, you said you had 350 students. You're like, well, I know I didn't see that many. So I, I, were there needs being met? So I think that's an awesome, interesting place to start. We try to do the same. And I would hi highly encourage other people to do that. Oh, yeah. a question. That, survey, that survey data is powerful. And then you can extend that to even ask further, how many of those students have an identified individual AAC system? Right. That's a whole other piece of data that actually we're monitoring as we speak. We're um, hoping to reshoot that same survey in about two weeks. And I would love to see the comparative data since we've been doing this professional learning. Uh, something to consider. We haven't done it, but it's an idea that I've been tossing around. So I wonder is if you're sending out that sort of survey data anyway, I wonder if another component of that, if someone was going to comprise a survey uh, to get this information and send it out to teachers, I think another maybe interesting point would be to uh, collect data about your own comfortableness. Is that a word? You know, how comfortable you are with AAC, rank yourself, you know, right. because if you did that over time, you could see the growth in the schools that you're trying. Well, you know, we did this two years ago. We got an average score of two, you know, and now after doing ongoing training and having these assessments, the assessment tool, which we're going to talk a little bit more about here in a minute, because uh, I have questions about that. Um, have you grown? You know, have we grown as, a, as an entity uh, that so we don't have this uncomfortable feeling about AC? We went from a two to a four in a, in a two year span or something. Yes, absolutely. And actually, we did have a separate survey where we are seeing growth. It's just super exciting. I think if we just can empower, um, and that's mostly SLPs, not so much the educators directly. We don't have as ready access um, mm -hmm. to them, but we do to our speech language pathologists just to say, how confident are you feeling? And then I think the next step is, how confident does the entire IEP team feel to meet the totally. needs? So that brings me to my next question, which was the assessments that you created were specific for SLPs to conduct. The idea being that you as an AAC expert couldn't, was, were going to start building capacity in your speech therapist, and then they could be building capacity in the IEP teams. Am I thinking yes. of that right? Yes, it's kind of a coach and re-coach. And I would just clarify that while I say that the um, we call it the app, the AAC planning tool, which organizes assessments. While that's designed for an SLP to access, um, it can only be gathered with the support of the IEP team. And that's been an, a wonderful side benefit uh, to the use of these tools that an SLP cannot gather all this information by themselves. And rather than perception that communication goals live just in the SLP realm, now we've broadened that thinking that everyone's involved, not only in, if you want to call it dynamic assessment and gathering communication language sampling, but they're also reviewing it together and making decisions together based on what they've gathered. And so that's been kind of an unanticipated benefit that we're super excited about. That is awesome, right? Okay, so tell me more. What is the app? What does it look like? What do people do? All right. Well, the app itself, we, um, the, everyone on my team knows I love acronyms, and we have lots of them in the field of AAC, um, but we use that to stand for AAC planning tool, and we had a little catchphrase on our um, binder that said, um, your students' communication skills are apt to surprise you. So we really believed as a team of SLPs who were pulling these resources together, that if we knew how better to recognize what communication truly was, even at the very earliest levels, that we would be surprised. And actually, uh, we have seen perceptions of other communication partners change 
as a result of recognizing, let's say, non-symbolic communicative acts or signals that had meaning that the student was using um, on a regular basis. So what we did, um, in a nutshell with the app, um, I still remember the day we sat in the room and had up on this whiteboard, I don't know, like 50, 70 different kinds of assessment tools that we had pulled together from the research and from conferences and from ASHA and anywhere we could get anything. And we looked at this massive amount of inventories and tools and, and really I don't think that we had any that were formally standardized. Some had scoring guides. And we looked at all of those and said, how on earth would we even pick and choose? And so what we ended up um, doing, it was kind of a incidental. We had a, SL, a new test had just come out, a new assessment, AAC assessment had been released. And there's a lot of publicity in the field about it and sent it home with one of the SLPs on our team and said, hey, um, why don't you go try this? And she's volunteering. She came back the next time we met, and I said, how was the assessment? What did you think of it? And she said, it just fell flat. I couldn't get past question three. The rest of them were way too advanced. And it was actually at that moment that I think we started to recognize, I get it. We're going to have to look at these assessments based on the type of communicator that we're looking at, that the individual displays. And we went back to our previous learning that we had reviewed from um, Patricia Dowden at the University of Washington, where she had those different levels of communicative independence. And they had emergent, context-dependent, and independent. And what we said is, could we start? What had happened there was the tool that was new and had gotten all the press was actually designed for someone perhaps more at a emergent symbolic context-dependent level and the learner of AAC that she was trying to assess and gather information on was someone at a emergent pre-symbolic level. And it was kind of like the light bulb went on and we said, gosh, we need to like, let's try this. And we started moving and drawing arrows across this board, making this story map on the wall and said, maybe we need to break the emergent into two groups. So we did emergent pre-symbolic and emergent symbolic. And then we also use context-dependent, independent. And in those groups, then, what we tried to do was to identify what would be the critical assessment tools or information or data that we would want to gather to reflect on for those different types of communicators. And that's kind of how the app itself is, is organized. Oh, that's, that's really awesome, Julie. I mean, uh, you took a commercial tool. You started there, recognized it wasn't working exactly as you needed it to, and then you created your own tool. You developed what you needed to meet your needs. You mentioned that there were different types of communicators, and you mentioned these words that I feel like some people are going to go like, what is an emergent, pre-symbolic? What does that mean? Can you define those a little bit for us? What, do, what does it mean to be emergent, pre-symbolic, and, and the rest? Sure, and we actually did that on the very first page of our apt resource. So um, emergent, pre-symbolic. Uh, when we're referring to students who would fall into that type of communicative independence, we're talking about those individuals that typically use behavior to reflect their general state of being, rather than anything like a sign or a picture communication symbol, something like that. They're usually very dependent on their partners to interpret their behaviors, mm -hmm. and they um, may or may not have clear intention to communicate which is another important piece to kind of try to figure out as you're um, looking at different kinds of learners. And then we move to the next group um, of students, which we are calling emergent symbolic communicators. And those are the learners of AAC who are just starting to use single 
symbolic um, communicative means. For example, it could be concrete um, objects, um, things that represent three-dimensional uh, tactile symbols, or it could be a picture communication symbol itself. Um, verbal speech is symbolic, text would be symbolic. So we're, we're talking about those limited though in, at that emergent level to just a single symbol. Okay. And then the context dependent, we typically coach our SLPs to think of those as the learners who are starting to combine two or more um, symbols together. And they're usually pretty reliable and almost always they're intentional communicators. I mean, they're trying to communicate. Um, and then independent communicators are really those that can be much more consistent in their use of two or more symbols. Uh, they can communicate with others across contacts, across partners, uh, and generate a lot of really novel, wide range of communicative intents, if that helps. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that really clears it up. And I think as you're de defining those four different categories, I'm picturing all these different students that I know. I'm like, okay, that student would be there, the student. Right, right. I'm this one. You know. Yeah, and that's actually how we started coaching our SLPs when we introduced the tool is to get out a sheet of paper, draw those columns, and think about the students on your roster. Um, we actually asked them to do that with their teachers. Uh, so they could have that conversation and kind of common learning together because of how we were going to approach it next. And so as you move through the app itself, and we like to think of it as a menu, like a menu of assessment tools. We didn't really create anything. We just organized a lot of what was already out there. Um, we maybe tweaked our own communication language sampling forms, but there are hundreds available uh, to give you ideas. But um, with all of those, um, then we move to now that you've identified the type of uh, communicative independence level your student is at, then let's start generating the list of tools. And so we have those four groups. And so within the act itself, we've taken the assessments and identified what we're calling the key four for each type of communicator. So for the emergent pre-symbolic, uh, and I know some of these tools will be familiar to those listening. Um, we suggested using either the communication matrix or the pragmatic profile. Take your pick. They're really great tools to give you, to really capture those earliest uh, communicative behaviors that may not be symbolic in nature, and yet it's important to document and track. And then we moved um, our second key four for that group was the communication language sampling form. But on that form, uh, on those sampling forms, one of the things we've discovered is they're very different based on the different types of communicators. So uh, for those earliest ones, we'd be looking at the number of pre-intentional or different intentional communicative acts, and then looking at even the communicative intents connected to those non-symbolic but communicative behaviors. And then we, uh, we call gesture dictionary, a personalized gesture dictionary, to assess that nonverbal behavior and then on to a communication partner worksheet, which really we do that so we know who do we need to train, offer support, and make sure this information gets shared with. Um, and then there's obviously more formal assessments that kind of fall at the bottom of the page. We say these are other good ones if you want to probe further. Tell me a little bit more about that communication partner worksheet. What does that look like? What, is it something it's very basic. It's really just a sheet of paper. Um, it came out of the work of um, Blackstone and Burke. You know, they did the full assessment, and we do doc or have that listed as one of the assessments that you could also consider. But really, it was more recognizing those circle of communication partners 
So we just have a table with columns and it would have paid providers, family, uh, close acquaintances, and then community, non-paid, that kind of thing. We just want to raise awareness that, for one thing, some of our communication partners, when they're young, they have those things, those are awful. And as they get older, sometimes there's gaps. And that's a different whole piece of, I think, implementation considerations that a team should be looking at. Um, but most of all, right now, at least initially, what it does, it, it helps us to identify who really needs to know how the student is communicating and where we're going with communication. So when we get ready to implement, we already have a list of people that we know we need to kind of go after. Yeah, totally. So from there, then we go to the other um, types of communicators. And I think um, I'm going to share with you guys um, a bit.ly that'll let you take a look at the apt resource yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, really? The <laughs> well, if you want to and if it helps, that we're happy to share. Um, I think that as we move across, and like I said earlier, the aha we had at that one meeting um, was really what led to us reorganizing this entire tool so that people could easily kind of narrow in and zoom in on what might be the most appropriate tool. And so different symbolic, they're very similar to the emergent pre-symbolic. Uh, for the key four, at least, with the exception that the communication language sampling form will look a little bit different because now you have students, hopefully, are demonstrating some use of symbols. Mm -hmm. So you're going to document what those are paired with their nonverbal. So there's a little two things going on at once to capture. And then as you move to the third group, the context dependent, then we really start to look at multiple things. So we look at the number of different words versus total words, the number of different communicative intents even examining the sentence complexity, uh, that's more of an SLP uh, role, as well as the MLU. And we all know that gets a little tricky, especially if you're using any kind of device or system. Sure. I don't know how exactly to do that, but again, something to consider. And in that third group, we did add, um, in lieu of the gesture dictionary, because now we're talking about individuals who can combine multiple symbols, we added either the test of aided communication symbol performance, or AAC Evaluation Genie. We wanted really to start getting information about some of the speech generating device features without doing a full feature match. It's a nice way to look at kids a little bit differently uh, in terms of their communication and language abilities. And we found that to be easy for most people to use and you can pick and choose subsets within each of those. So you don't do both, you just do whichever one you have access to. We leave the communication um, partner worksheet on all of it uh -huh. um, because we don't want to miss that implementation link. And then the last would be the independent communicator. And for those students, really, uh, we talk really more about SLPs recognizing that what you're doing for other kids is exactly what you should be doing for these students. We did move that social networks inventory up to one of the key four because we think that's a big deal. It's a big deal all the way across. You know, that's why we communicate to connect with people. Do you but, mean like Facebook and Instagram social networks? Well, this really is, yeah, that just, actually is part of our implementation part. But in terms of assessment, this would look more like at who they're communicating with. Are they able to do all those um communicative um, competencies that I think came out of Janice Light's work. Uh -huh. You look at linguistic, operational, social, strategic, those are all captured really nicely, I think, in that tool as well. And then we've tried to subcode those throughout so that we don't just get so hung up on just one or the other. 
And then another piece of the assessment, um, when we put it together, we have on every page just a reminder of reference to also pair this with what you know about literacy is, literacy learning. And this tool is not intended to do that, but we know that for those earliest communicators, that language is literacy. And so language learning is key to them. And having access to some type of a robust language system needs to be in place uh, regardless of what they're doing expressively so we can start to really provide the exposure and access. Mm -hmm. So you implemented this with a number of speech therapists. How did it go? Well, actually really well. We started in our, like everyone does, in your own little pond and you try it out. So um, this group, again, we were an informal group at that point in time that had been meeting for almost eight years to try to really identify besides the app that took us about four years. I was going to um, say, right, you didn't look this up in a weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't just, yeah, and we didn't meet every, every week. We met monthly, and so there was a lot of learning that went along with it. Um, but I would say once we um, got done with the app, we just saw more things to do. So how do we keep building confidence and capacity in other SLPs that, to be honest, many of us had very limited training um, in terms of while we were in school, and even new grads now often just have one course. And so how do we keep building this capacity? We add, you know, approximately seven to eight new SLPs every year, and we already had 80 some that we were trying to, you know, continue. So it's been a challenge. We now have it built into our expectations for new staff. We're familiar with it. Um, we have also, the state of Iowa has been very interested and supportive of our efforts, and they've asked us to share it statewide. So um, speech-language pathologists in the state of Iowa have additional opportunities to learn about the app as well as their teachers. And then um, now you um, yeah. asked me to share <laughs> here today. And so, you know, humbly, uh, we set this before you. Um, what we have really seen uh, change is our SLPs now, they would never, I don't know that any of us should ever say we're an expert in the field because there is just always more to learn. But I would say their level of confidence self-reported has definitely increased. Um, assessment is one of their highest self-rating scores now, that they know the kinds of data they need to grab and capture and consider. Uh, we moved on to then device selection, and that's a little bit of a newer area. Uh, we worked on um, IEP goals, how to select good goals, how to bring multiple ideas to the table, not just one, and let others contribute and collaborate to decide. Um, and then uh, we've been doing most recently some communication partner training, like many people across the country have recognized the need for that. And that, in addition, has been extremely helpful. I think our teams are now feeling like, I know how to communicate. I know what I'm supposed to do uh, to interact with someone who communicates through a different means. Um, so those have all been really positive outcomes. We have actually revised this tool at least five or six times already. And, it, and you know, it, I don't look for that to stop. Although I think the people that work with me on this, which we just let it ride for a little while and let's, you know, kind of be comfortable, get comfortable with it. I think the whole essence is I can let it ride now for a while as long as everyone recognizes it is just an organized menu of AAC assessment tools that are available really to anyone. Mm -hmm. And it's just a different way of thinking about our students. You know, organizing by the type of communicator helps with IEP goal selection, 
uh, if you reference the, I think it's, I don't know if I pronounced it correctly, the dog, uh, I think uh, one of the vendors actually um, presents some IEP goal suggestions. They organize it this way. And that was so exciting when we um, recognized, hey, we're doing, we're organizing this like they're organizing IEP goals, we're organizing assessments. And so I think that it can carry over and help us better know where to start. This sounds fantastic. Where do people actually see it? Because I mean, they're hearing about it and they're, I'm sure people are like, hmm, okay, this sounds something like I need to see and like, you know, actually spend some time flicking through the pages. How do they get access? Right. Well, we um, have a bit.ly that I'm happy to share. It's uh, bit.ly forward slash apt binder and the apt is capitalized. And we can put that in the show notes if that's helpful. Totally. Um, people can link from it there. Um, and if, I hope that it helps others to, to also start to really get information that moves beyond just opinions about kids. And, and kind of informal observations are important, but having data and organizing them to speak to teams and administrators speaks volumes. And I think any one of these tools can offer credibility to that conversation. And yet saying that, I don't want it to appear that we're promoting you required to do all this formal assessment one time. It's not. It's dynamic. We have teams that don't do all four all at the same time. Uh, and in fact, we encourage them, if you're going to pick one, start with the communication language sampling forms. Mm -hmm. uh, allow that data to actually be converted into tables and uh, graphs. And since the teams are helping gather that data, uh, they know kind of where it's coming from, and then to see it all together and make decisions, it's just really an exciting time for us. So what's the future of the app? What do you think you're going to do with it? I mean, it sounds like something that should be like published or, no. you know, made digital <laughs> or turn it into an app or something. So people, what, what do you think? Well, you're yeah, there's an app developer out there. I'd love to get to know them. <laughs> um, actually, our agency does have some people that do some app development and they've offered but to be honest, it was never the intent of this to be anything published. Like I said, in our mind, we just organized, um, organized the content so people could better use what's out there without spinning their wheels. Um, for us, on a personal note, at our agency, one of the positive outcomes was that small group that felt I told you about that have really committed a lot of time and energy. Um, I think with our agency vision for accessibility and equity and all of that, and this team's work in the background, of course, I've been advocating that there would be an AAC resource team, and now we have one. This is our um, second year. We're just starting our second year of actually recognizing how, you know, uh, the investment in learning and equipping others goes much further than just having one person serve as that expert expert to run in, do an assessment, give recommendations, and then not see them again. Uh, this model is far stronger, and I encourage other teams that are, even if you can't have your own resource team, is to try to figure out how a small group could even start to meet to do a PLC and figure out what is it we all need to know, learn to do better. So it's evolving. I mean, it goes from one topic to the next, and, and we've kind of adopted a three-year rotation. So one year we focus on implementation, next year it's IEP goal and device selection, and then the third year's implementation. Rotating and, and connecting all of our professional learning and resources um, to that. Is there any thought of, like, so you have these, all these different teams would be then using the assessment of the speech therapist working with the teams to do the assessment. And then you have information from that assessment, and then you could pool that information together with other teams, like a, 
aggregate data of some sort. Is, is there any thought of that or have you done anything like that? Well, the only thing we've done sort of related to that would be we usually take what well, we do in our agency. We take all the information that's gathered from the apt assessment tools for a particular student and we are using the set framework. Um, we actually customized a set for AAC based on the idea of someone else that I heard at a Closing the Gap conference several years ago. And I just kind of expounded on that. And so we actually take that content and put it into a collaborative set doc that the team works on together to answer important questions and identify next steps, next needs. So in terms of using it, that's the only way that we, you know, pool that resource to not just sitting out here fragmented, but it's really in front of everyone and saying, now what's the next priority need? Here's what we know about the student. Here's what we know about the environment and the partners. And that's been a really big aha for us in that in column of set. And then here's the communicative task that we really wanna see the student be able to achieve. And then in order to do that, then we get to the tools. And in the past, and it still happens once in a while, we have people jumping just to the tool. Let's just go get this device. And we have lots of great vendors, you know, companies, reps, coming and collaborating, and there's a time and place for that, but until we have a good picture of the student and the environment, and specifically the tasks that we're hoping to support and promote change in, then we're trying to get our teams to say, let's just hold on there. We want everyone to have access to robust language in some form or another, and then once we get that and what that's going to be, it can't just be this thing out in left field. It has to be connected to all the rest. So we're using that to kind of split um, the assessment and data that we're gathering. Cool, Julie, if uh, people have questions, they're reading it over and they're, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to figure it out and they're like, hmm, I have a question about how they You know, this is a work in progress. And I think um, as we get more voices, from different people like we have even across the state. That's how the tool has changed and improved. So this is a kudos to many others beyond myself. I'm just the voice person right here today, but there's others that have been heavily invested in this work as well. Well, thanks to you and all of them for putting all the hard effort into this so that we can all just don't have to start at the beginning. We can take it from there. So I cannot wait to, to dig in deeper and I'm sure other people will feel that same way when they go take a look. And so thank you so much, Julie. Really, we can't really express just how much uh, work has gone into this and how appreciative I know I feel about it. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate the time just having a chat with you about it. All right, thank you. Welcome back to Talking With Tech. That was an amazing interview with Julie Freed. I think she touched on a lot of really great points about assessment, and I'm really excited to actually check out the ATP. I haven't seen it yet, so um, I'm really excited to add another, another tool to, to my toolkit. Yeah, I just love the idea that they found something in need, and so they created it, you know? I just love that. Yeah, and we talk a lot about that on this podcast. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we just, as practitioners, think, okay, well, I need to just kind of deal with what, what's out there. And I really encourage everyone, if there's, if there's something that you feel like could be done or could be done better, um, you know, that's what's always evolving our field. And I think the people that dare to create something and dare to put themselves out there uh, are really helping the, the whole uh, of our field get into, into new ways to practice and, and different ideas and evolving technology. So I would encourage everybody to take a risk and put yourself out there. 
Yes, do not be afraid. Go do it. The world needs you. Exactly. Speaking of not being afraid, do not be afraid to go onto iTunes and give us a review. We are trying to get to 100 reviews by 2019. Um, I think we have 36. I haven't checked today. Uh, I checked a few days ago. So we have a long way to go, guys, and we need your help. So if you like this podcast, if you listen to us every week, I would really encourage you to go to iTunes, leave us a review, and it will really help get us to our goal of 100 reviews by 20. 19. You know what, Rachel? I totally think we can do it. You know, I, when I first heard, I was like, 100? No way. But then I started reading the people who were commenting and, and uh, making suggestions and interacting on the Facebook group. And I was like, no, no, Rachel's right. We could do this. So if you're listening to this right now, please go on and leave a, leave a review. It takes no longer than 10, I mean, not even 10 seconds. You could just put the stars and say, love it. That would be great. Yes, exactly. We get thousands of downloads every month, thousands and thousands. So there's no way that we can't get a hundred people to leave us a review. Um, and I will keep annoying everybody on this podcast every week until we get our goal, because that's how I am, persistent. <laughs> so for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined with Chris Bouguet. We will talk to you guys again next week. <laughs>